0: Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at The Granary Church. I love Easter. I really do. Who else loves Easter? Yes. Well, yeah, the Easter eggs are good, that's true. But I just find that the... The build-up, the anticipation, you know, the whole um, Easter season and Lance and just the fact we're all anticipating, celebrating this good news at the same time. I think there's something really powerful about that. Um, the reality of Easter is all year round. It doesn't have to be just this weekend, but there's something about anticipating it together, which I think's really significant. That's not my message, I just... Felt like sharing that because I was excited. And uh, thanks to the worship team. That was terrific. I'm going to pray and then we're going to, um, I'm going to talk for a bit and you're going to listen. And, uh, and if you agree with the things that I'm sharing, you're going to say stuff back. Um, yes, I can always count on you, Chris. I know I can. And anyone else who wants to join in and participate, feel free because preaching is an exchange I'm not here doing a performance. I'm sharing from the word of God. And if it excites you and it builds something in your faith, feel free to say something. God, thank you for um, our time here this morning. Thank you for um, the fact that you are our risen king. And this morning, Lord, I ask as I share some things from your word and share some meditations on your word, Lord, I ask that above all things, the revelation of our risen king Jesus Would permeate in our hearts this morning. Amen. I'm going to start by reading from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 36 to 49. This is one of the first moments after Jesus' resurrection uh, when he appeared to the 11 disciples. So while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Peace be with you. This is one of those phrases which has probably become a little bit stereotyped for us due to its familiarity. It's the sort of thing you imagine uh, the priest saying to you when you leave church on a Sunday morning. Peace be with you. But what did Jesus mean when he said Peace be with you to his disciples. Surely he had a few other things he wanted to say at this point. And he certainly does. He takes time to explain what just happened and what the significance of his death and resurrection uh, was. He also takes time to ask for some food, which is probably to be expected as well. If I'd been to hell and back over three days, I would be hungry. But there's a few other things that I think uh, we'd probably expect him to ask as well. I mean, if this was me, the first thing that I probably would have said is, where were you guys? But he doesn't. He doesn't start off with that. He starts off with, peace be with you. Why does he start with peace? Well, the peace that Jesus is talking about here is actually the greatest treasure that we can ever have. It's more than a relaxed feeling. And it's more than the end of a war. It's the wholeness and completeness that comes from being reconciled with God. It's us returning to how we were always meant to be. And how we were always meant to be is in unbroken relationship with the one true God. That is the piece that Jesus is talking about. To be reconciled to God. To be made Whole again. Peace be with you. So, this morning on Easter Sunday, we're going to spend some time meditating on this promise of peace. The peace that comes from us returning to how we were always meant to be in an unbroken relationship with our God. And in doing so, I want us to dwell on how the peace that Jesus won for us on the cross is more than just a feeling. And it's more than just the end of war. It's being completely reconciled with God. So first, peace is more than just feeling relaxed. A few years ago, well, actually it was over 10 years ago. This happens as you get older. Something that was a few years ago is actually a good decade ago. And anyway, a decade ago, I was on holidays. I have been on a holiday since, but I was on holidays. On the north coast and uh, while my wife Sky and I were there, we popped by this organic cafe for lunch and it was a beautiful place, you know, bespoke furniture, a beautiful green leafy outlook. We went in there and we chatted to the staff who were super friendly and they were calling me darling and love and it was wonderful. Um, there was beautiful bamboo pipe music wafting through the stereo system, incense candles burning. It was really beautiful. So we sat down and we, after chatting with our best friends, the staff there, we ordered some bean based meals and some of those delicious cakes that are just made of nuts, maple syrup, dried fruit, who knows whatever else. Don't know, don't care. Tastes amazing. Got some smoothies filled with a whole bunch of juice and grass cuttings that add five years to your life. Sat down and just relaxed. It was lovely. And shortly after we'd sat down, um, a whole bunch of people arrived. Other holiday makers had come to this cafe. And uh, before we knew it, the uh, staff were run off their feet and we could no longer hear the music. We could no longer smell the incense. And we had a slight problem because we'd run out of recycled napkins to use at our table, so I um, went up to the counter to politely try and find my way in and just, oh, excuse me, can I just grab a couple of napkins? And as I caught my friend, the, the, the waitress's eye, she looked over at me and said, what do you want now? <laughs> Nothing, I'm fine. I'm- anyway, it dawned on me as I left that place that the nice peaceful vibes that we felt there were the result of a carefully created atmosphere, furniture, the music, the incense, the outlook. It was all curated to create a peaceful vibe and that was fine. Except once the date cakes were running low and the leafy outlook was full of people taking selfies, the vibe just disappeared. That's because true peace is more than a nice relaxing vibe. True peace is not an atmosphere that we create in order to make ourselves feel better. Peace may relax you and bring about calm and tranquility, but it is much, much more than this. You don't need an atmosphere of calm and tranquility in order to feel the sort of peace that Jesus is talking about. Praise the Lord for that too. Because life is full of mortgages and bills and sickness and fights and difficulties with family and difficulties with work. You know, each of these circumstances literally make it impossible to live in an atmosphere like that organic cafe 24-7. And in fact, if you try and curate that atmosphere around yourself, you're probably going to end up more stressed than if you didn't. Peace is not dependent on our external circumstances. Now, I'm not saying that um, God doesn't work on our circumstances and doesn't desire to bring about calm and order and stillness. However, peace is not dependent on our external circumstances. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus actually says a similar thing to his disciples prior to his death that he says to them upon his resurrection. We read this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Jesus made this promise of peace right before he was arrested and crucified. He is clearly not making a promise here that is talking about living in a chilled out, relaxing environment. Because what the disciples are about to go through that night and early the next morning as they see their leader flogged, tortured, and murdered is not an atmosphere that is conducive to being relaxed and chilled out. But Jesus is offering them something far greater than just their circumstances. Jesus is offering ultimate wholeness and healing. He is offering to put us back to how we were meant to be. Jesus gives these words right before he goes to the cross to make a way for us to be reconciled with God because this is where peace comes from. This is how we were meant to be. We were meant to be reconciled to God. Uh, in our passage today, as the resurrected Jesus speaks to his disciples, uh, the Gospel of Luke notes that the disciples were a bit frightened. This is understandable. Just from a surface level understanding, this is clearly understandable because Jesus is standing before them, completely healthy, strong, and radiant when only a couple of days before they had seen his skin ripped to shreds and all of his blood spilled, It's hard to relate to how they probably would have felt seeing this, but the closest thing I could think of is when you have a salad and you put a salad in the fridge, and then a couple of days later you get the leftover salad out and the sultanas have rehydrated into big wrinkly grapes. That really unsettles me. It makes it hard to eat the salad because they were dead, but now they're sort of alive again. Here we have something far greater than a grape. This is a, a, a man, a man that was dead and who they saw dead is now alive standing in front of them. So Jesus speaks peace over them and into them because he does care about our circumstances, but he speaks peace into the depths of their beings. No doubt they were still thrown by the whole resurrected Messiah thing. No doubt they were terrified about the Jewish leaders who wanted to silence the whole event. No doubt they were still frightened about being under Roman occupation. But in the depths of their being, Jesus was giving them peace. The peace that the Apostle Paul describes in Philippians 4.7 as the peace of God that transcends understanding. Peace that transcends our circumstances, no matter what you're going through. Peace is more than just feeling relaxed. Secondly, peace is more than the end of war. Right now we're we're aware of war happening uh, in Europe. We see and hear about the things happening in the Ukraine and it's really distressing. The Ukraine is one of five major wars that is happening in the world right now. There are five major wars and there are 38 minor wars and conflicts going on. Five major wars and 38 minor wars and conflicts happening right now to real people. Real families are being displaced. Real hopes, dreams and lives are ending for people just like us. And for every war, every conflict that is happening around the world right now, there are thousands of people crying out desperately for peace. And when they cry out for peace, they are crying out for the end of war. This is a picture of a fellow called Mitzlav Rostropovich. And Rostropovich was a Russian cellist and conductor who was widely considered to be one of the best cellists and conductors of the 20th century. Now, among his amazing musical achievements, he was also known as a staunch advocate of human rights, and he spoke out against the Soviet regime that he lived under at the time and their restriction of free speech and democratic values. And as a result, he was exiled from his homeland and lived as a political refugee in America from 1974 until the end of the Cold War with the falling of the Berlin Wall in 1989 and this image here is of Rostropovich playing his cello as the Berlin Wall is pulled to pieces. You may have seen this before or even seen video of it. It's a very famous image and moment. Now I don't imagine that there are words that adequately describe what it's like to be at peace after being at war. And that's probably why Rostropovich's performance at the fall of the Berlin Wall is so well known because the feeling of being at peace after being at war can probably only be described by playing your cello. No words can do it justice, but peace um, does mean the end of war. That's part of it. But when Jesus said, peace be with you, part of what he was doing was declaring the end of a war. He was the war against sin and death. And in Colossians chapter 4, verse 13 to 15, it says this, He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, when Jesus came to die on the cross and rise again, he was restoring the order of things. And he set us free of the power of darkness that kept us enslaved from our own sin. He dies so that we can have peace with God. No longer are we stranded in the kingdom of darkness. No longer do we find ourselves beaten and battered by our sin and shame. Jesus did die so that we could have peace with God. But peace is more than just the end of war. That's part of it. Jesus died so that we could have peace with God, but he rose again so that we could have the peace of God. So lastly today, the peace that Jesus offers is complete wholeness, a wholeness that only comes from being reconciled with God. Now, the English word for peace comes from the Latin pax, which means a cessation of conflict, generally with one party emerging stronger than the other, like as in pax Roma, which was the kind of peace the Roman Empire described when they didn't have any more um, enemies. Basically, if you step out of line, we'll beat you up, that sort of peace. And there is something to this idea of peace, meaning the end of conflict or the end of war, which we just discussed. But the original Hebrew word for peace gives us a much better idea about the fullness of what Jesus meant when he said, peace be with you. In the Hebrew language, Jesus would have said, shalom al That's right. Jesus had a Jewish accent uh, rather than an Australian one. And the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, has a much broader meaning than pax or peace. Shalom is used throughout the Bible in a number of occasions and implies many things, not just the absence of war, not just a feeling of calm. It implies wholeness, unity, prosperity, and good health. Shalom is the idea of things being made whole, return to how they should be. One of the first uses of the word shalom in the Bible is found in Exodus, and it illustrates one of these aspects of shalom, of things being made whole, being made complete and restored. In Exodus, Moses is giving instructions to the people of Israel about what to do if their possessions are stolen. And in such cases, the person who has been robbed is seen as being lacking or incomplete in some way. And so as a result, the word shalom is used as a principle of restoration and making things whole again, or right again. In other words, shalom means to set things right, to put things as they should be, or more specifically, how God knows they should be. So when Jesus said, shalom ala he was declaring that now that he had died and risen again, things are back to how they should be. So to understand this a little bit more, we probably need to go back to the beginning of creation. You see, when God originally created this earth and the people in it, there was absolute peace. There was no sickness, no hunger, no loneliness, and no war. And above all this, and in order to sustain all of this, there was this perfect, unbroken relationship with God who made us. And every day we would walk through the garden with him and we would talk. And this is how life was to look and the way things should be. But then something went wrong in the garden. We decided to break that connection with God by demoting him. Rather than him being the king and God of our lives, we put ourselves in that position. This was a temptation that the serpent offered our ancestors in the Garden of Eden. Eat the fruit and you will become like God. So we took it and ate it and in doing so, attempted to take on God's role in our relationship with him God's role in our relationship with each other and God's role in our relationship with creation. But our relationships weren't designed to work with us as God. We're not qualified to be in that position. And history has shown time and time again what terrible gods we are. Life has lacked shalom ever since that moment at the beginning of our history when we decided to kick God off his throne here on earth. And now we live in a world with sickness, war, corruption, division, and abuse. But God, being a good God, he didn't leave the story there. The moment we rejected his way of things, God got busy planning Easter. And when Easter happened, the cost of our sin and shame was paid for. And when Easter happened, the power of death was broken. And when Easter happened we were reconciled to God. When Easter happened, God made a way for things to go back to how they were always meant to be because when Easter happened, we came back to an unbroken relationship with our one true God. Complete wholeness, complete peace comes from being in an unbroken relationship with our one true God. If you were to go to an art gallery and look at an artist's work, for some of you, this is really a hypothetical, but if you were to go, all of the ideas in that artist's work, all of the materials, even how the work is exhibited, that all comes from the artist. It flows from the artist. You don't go into an art gallery and the first question you necessarily ask is um, where, which shop do they buy the paints from? I mean, if you do this, there's a lot about the art, perhaps, but generally you don't ask that. The first question you ask is, um, "Who made this?" Whether it's good or bad. Who made this? Who is the artist?" Because the art flows from the artist. You ask the same thing of a song. If a song catches your attention or gets stuck in your head, you often ask, "Who is that by? Who is the artist?" Because the art flows from the artist. That's why it's so disappointing when a band changes its members. In the tragic case of the band Queen, once Freddie Mercury died, the magic ended. It did. Many of the band's most famous ideas and performances came from Freddie, and once he died, Queen essentially became a cover band of itself. In excess, did a similar thing. They even held a TV talent show to find a guy to step in and try and be Michael Hutchins. But you can't because without the artist, you lose the art. That's why Picasso is so expensive because he's not around to make any more of them. In James chapter 1, verse 17, James writes this, Everything good comes from God. Everything good comes from God everything good beauty comes from god joy comes from god music comes from god good food comes from god courage comes from god love comes from god holidays come from god friendship comes from god laughter comes from god peace comes from god the art flows from the artist And now that we are reconciled with the artist, all of the beauty of his art is able to flow back into our lives. And despite our circumstances and despite the ongoing redemption, the ongoing redemption of our broken world, we are back in the presence of God, the God from whom every good thing flows." That is what it means to have God's peace. We are back in relationship with the God from whom every good thing flows. You know, one of the things that I love about Easter is that it provides us with such a clear picture about what God is like. Because at Easter, we are reminded of how God showed us what he was like through the language of humanity in the incarnation of Jesus. We read the Gospels, and we see a God from whom every good thing flows. Jesus, as the embodiment of God, was faithful, powerful, merciful, good, and true. Jesus enjoyed long, long lunches with the most important people and the most marginalized of people. Jesus had mind-blowing wisdom and intellect, and with it, This incredible and humble way of explaining concepts in a simple manner that everyone could understand. Jesus laughed a lot. Jesus liked to sing. Jesus liked to make things. Jesus worked hard. Jesus liked to take ridiculously long walks. Jesus was also relaxed. He would often take his time, but his timing was still always excellent. He wasn't rushed, and he could take epic naps, even snoozing on a fishing boat that's being tossed about in the raging sea. Jesus spoke to storms and made them completely still, just so his friends weren't so scared. Jesus found fun ways to do things, like walking on water to catch up to his friends, rather than riding in a boat. Jesus cried with those who were suffering. Jesus healed anyone who would ask him, and he healed them of anything. Physical sickness, mental and spiritual disturbance. He even healed people from death. Jesus always made sure everyone had enough to eat. Jesus made time for children. He made time for the poor. He made time for people who are corrupt and making bad decisions. Jesus spoke the truth. Jesus openly opposed anyone who made access to him difficult. Jesus wasn't afraid to make hard decisions. Jesus was strong in the face of terror and determined, and brave, and an unrelenting force for the sake of those that he loved. Jesus forgave us. Jesus beat death for us and rose again. Every good thing comes from this Jesus. Every good thing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It all comes from Jesus. Courage, power, healing, leadership, vision, it all comes from Jesus. Family, friendship, laughter, music, every good thing comes from our king, Jesus. And in his death and resurrection, we are fully reconciled to the one in whom every good thing is found. This is the God that we now have an unbroken relationship. And this is what it means to have shalom. A relationship with a God like this makes us complete. It makes us whole. Peace be with you. um, I'm going to finish and before the band, the band can come up, before they start playing anything, I'm going to end in a way that that I just need to apologise in advance. I'm going to break a preaching rule and that is that preachers shouldn't sing. No, look. I I just—I'm only going to sing it super quick. I'm just going to do a doxology, okay? Uh, Now this is super common. This isn't a performance. A doxology is like a blessing or a prayer that is sung over you at the end of a service, and it's been done all throughout history, um, all through the Christian tradition and the Jewish tradition, and all sorts of other faiths do it as well. It's just a way for me to pray and bless you as we finish, and then we're going to move into a time of worship together, where we can spend some time worshiping. Our King Jesus, our resurrected King Jesus. So how about you stand and close your eyes. And if you like, you can hold out your hands. I'm just going to sing this prayer over you and then we're going to worship. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, you creatures here below. Praise him above all heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.